What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Chapter 6, verse 4 through 10. If one word could describe that passage, and remember the king, the king, Jesus is speaking over her, it's all affirmation. Say affirmation. It's all affirmation. In fact, in this book, Jesus, the king, he never says anything negative about his bride. Nothing. Nothing. Your words have the power of life and death. They're in the tongue. Our words, every careless word that comes out of our mouth, Scripture says we're going to be judged for it. Words are powerful. What we say, what we declare, what we speak, it matters. Without vision, people perish. And so we are to be people that speak life and speak vision over people because one word that God may give you for somebody else could change their life forever. How do I know that? Because I gave up on my hoop dreams back in the day. And I was working in the mall, selling clothing. Real exciting. At least for me. No offense if anybody sells clothing, but it wasn't my gig. This guy walked up and he said, hey, man. And he was a referee. And he, hey, did you ever play college basketball? I was like, no, nah, I never played college basketball. Why not? You should have. You were good enough. Well, I hurt my knee and da-da-da-da-da. And the reality was I was drinking. I was partying. And Anyway, I didn't tell him that, though. But he said to me, as a referee, and by the way, what does a referee represent, right? Black and white stripes, zebra, right? Represents a person in authority. And he said to me, you should have played college. You're good enough to play college. There's a new coach down at this school you should go try out. That day, I received his word. I began to jog exercise, work out. I put down the beer and I set a goal. And out of 24 walk-ons, I was the only one walk-on that made the team. All the guy was doing was shopping. Did he pray before he went in? Oh God, there's somebody here that needs a word. Probably not. I don't even know if he was saved. Christian, you have the spirit of the living God inside of you. Do you realize what you're walking with? Come on. These ain't Nerf guns we're shooting with. <laughs> Strap with a gap when I'm rolling. Anyway. <laughs> cat, you don't like that cat? It's 11 o'clock service. I get a little loopy. <laughs> the same power that raised Christ from the dead is within you and it's within me. 1 Peter 4.11 says this, when you speak, speak the very words of God. Speak the very oracles of God. Now, don't let that be, 1 Peter 4.11, a pressure for you. Just walk and when you feel like God wants you to say something to someone, just say it. Why? Luke chapter 1, 
Verse 3, it says, It seemed good to me, O most excellent Theophilus, to write to you an orderly account about this guy named Jesus. And when he seemed good to write this excellent account, this account, what happened? He wrote the Bible. Think about that. See, she received what was being spoken in verses 4 through 10 of chapter 6. She received it. She received it in such a way it affected her life. What did it cause her to do? These powerful words caused her, verse 11 of chapter 6, I went down to the nut orchard to look at the blossoms in the valley to see whether the vines had budded whether the pomegranates were in bloom. She actually started to work in the garden. She started to do things that were outside of herself. Nut orchard, nut orchard, yeah. That represents the church. Why? Because we're a bunch of nuts. That landed better than the first service. First service, it was just, you know. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate your energy today. She went down to the nut orchard. She wanted to see whether the vines had budded. Like you and I, we're called to produce fruit, fruit that is to bring glory to our Father, right? Jesus, right? I am the vine. You're the branches. Abide in me, right? You'll bear much fruit. Much fruit? Yeah, much fruit. And so she's like, where's the, where's the fruit? Where, what's going on? I want to go see what's happening. She's outside of herself, and she's serving others. See, when you're convinced of the love of God, it brings you a security. It brings you a comfort. It brings you to a place where you can truly say, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't want anything. I'm not in need of anything. And you just begin to move differently. And so she starts serving. And as she's serving, verse 12, before I was aware... My desire set me among the chariots of my kinsmen, a prince. Now, she's working in the garden, but she looks up and she's moving so fast that she's actually keeping pace with the chariots. Chariots represent the the, the fastest vehicle back in the day. It was a vehicle of royalty, a vehicle of nobility, usually used by the royal family. And so she was running with the royal remnant. She was was running with those who were going after the things of God. In Song of Songs 6.12 in the King James Version, it says, My soul made me like the chariots of Ami Nadib. The chariots of Ami Nadib. Now, this Hebrew word means this, and it's translated, my kinsman, a prince. It means people of a willing heart. You might want to write that down. People of a willing heart. She was surrounded as she was serving by people of a willing heart. Not by people who were just complaining all the time about how much work there was and how hard this is. 
But there was people that were in love with Jesus. They're like, I am so honored to be in this garden. I'm so honored to be in this place. I am just so excited to be here. I can't wait to to prune somebody today. I can't wait to water. I can't wait to cultivate. I can't wait to, oh, this garden, this garden belongs to my king. It belongs to my king who I'm in love with. And, and as I'm serving, I look around and wow, these people that are, that are by me, they love God. They're people of a willing heart. I, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 20, please. Matthew chapter 20. I, all, a lot of times I, I get people that come forward and, and, and Pastor Chris, I just don't know what God's will is for my life. I just don't know what God's will is for my life. And and, and, and so understand that there is a, a, a will of God that is clear and laid out in Scripture, right? So be holy as I am holy. That's God's will, right? Be humble, right? Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's God's will, right? Uh, don't be prideful. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, and, and so rejoice in every situation. Pray without ceasing, for this is God's will for you, right? First Thessalonians 5, it talks about God's will for you. So there is a written will, the revealed will of God of how we should walk in life. That's already there. And this, this is Jesus telling us how to find our purpose, how to be great in the world. And so your purpose, what God created you to be and do, the destiny that he has for you, that often is found through revelation. So you have the written, revealed word of God, which teaches us how to live and walk and be and do. But what did he create you to do? You might not find that anywhere in the pages. That has to be revealed. When you look at Peter, Peter fell asleep, and he had this dream in Acts chapter 10. And all of a sudden, the sheet comes out of heaven, and it was unclean food, and, and God's saying, eat this food. And Peter says, no, Lord. By, by the by, discipleship tip number one, don't say no, Lord, Okay. I will not eat it. I've never eaten unclean things. I will not do it. He says, do not call unclean what I've called clean. So Peter wakes up, and it says that he's perplexed. And so this revelation of God leaves him perplexed. He didn't know what it means. He didn't know how to apply it to his life, and that's okay. Sometimes we don't know where God is leading us, and so revelation comes. Revelation comes, but it leaves us perplexed. I don't know what to do with it. And then all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door, and it's these people who are Gentiles, who are Roman. This guy Cornelius, hey, come to my house. And Peter's kind of like, uh, listen, I, I can't go into a Gentile's house. I'm a Jew, and, and we just don't get down like that, right? Now, this is, this is kind of my translation. It doesn't say they don't get down like that in the Bible, okay? And so all of a sudden, Peter's preaching, and before he gives an altar call, before he tells them to come forward, 
the Holy Spirit falls. They start speaking in tongues. And he's like, oh, my gosh. The Gentiles, non-Jewish people can get saved? And all of a sudden, maybe it's clicking in his brain that, okay, maybe that's what those unclean animals are for. Now, keep in mind, Acts chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, the church finally decides, and the church is always slow. Say the church is slow. Yeah, they're slow up on the uptake. They decide Gentiles can be saved, not just Jews. So revelation interpretation comes in chapter 10. This guy's getting saved, but the application didn't come till Acts 15. God, he walks with us, and, and you're not going to get everything right away. And so as you, as you follow him, as you serve, his will will be revealed. Amen. Revelation, application, interpretation, it's going to come as you follow. She started serving. How do you find God's will for your life? Here it is. Here's the answer from Jesus, Matthew 20, 25. In context here, by the way, uh, Jesus, uh, the, mo- the mom was saying, hey, I want my boys to be number one with you. I want them right, right by your side, right? And he's like, hey, you don't know what you're asking for, right? But then he teaches. He says, Jesus called to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, basically those that do not know God, lord it over them. I'm the boss, right? Their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great, you want to highlight that. Why? Jesus wants you to be great. He wants you to fulfill the purpose he has for you. He wants you to walk in the destiny that he has for you. He wants you to do great things. But here's the, here's the thing. Whoever would be great among you must be. Is must an option? It's not. Must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man come, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Man. Sometimes I laugh when I see... First Baptist Church, because biblically, it should be called Last Baptist Church, right? You, you, feel, you feel what I'm saying? Uh, bad joke. It would be cool church, though, Last Baptist. If we were Baptists, I might do that. Anyway, uh, so, so help me, God. Um, so here there's... Jesus is saying, hey, man, listen, if you want to be great, serve, serve, serve. It's it's, it's a lifestyle that says it's not about me. I'm here to wash feet. And so sometimes I just have to sit and think, servant, slave, least, last. Servant, slave, least, last. Servant, slave, least, last. How can I embody this, God? How how can I make myself at complete disposal of somebody else? How, how could I just allow you to increase and lead me wherever you want me to go so that I can give my life like you gave your life? This should be the question for every believer. This is God's purpose. I want you to keep your place here and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8. 
And this is Paul. He's, he's writing to, to this church that he planted. And, 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 he's, and he's writing with uh, a few of his homies. And, and look at what he says in, in verse 8. He says, for now we live. 1 Thessalonians 3.8. For now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord. So I want you to highlight the word you in your Bible. And I want you to put above that the main emphasis in the Greek is the word you. That is the main emphasis. So if I'm reading it, for now I really live if you stand fast and stand firm in the Lord. We are a church that has gone after what is my purpose? What is my purpose? What is my purpose? Your purpose and my purpose is to be like Jesus, to deny yourself, to embrace the cross, and to follow him. That you and I would serve so that others could stand fast and firm in the Lord. Paul was saying, my purpose is really not about me. My purpose is about you standing firm in Christ. Imagine if the church as a whole moved like that, where we didn't really care about us and what was your will for my life. Man, let me, let me walk beside Anya and say, Anya, look, I'm pressing into what is God's will for your life? Anya, what do you need? How can I serve you? How can I pray for you? How can I help you? What can I give you, Anya? This thing isn't about me. This is about you. And that's the kind of mentality. If we moved like that, we'd be moving just like Jesus. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the what's in it for me has to die. And unless a seed dies, nothing will be produced. And we've missed it as the church where we've gone after the purpose of God for my life by taking this conference and going to this thing and going to that thing. When scripture is very clear, if you want to do great things for the king of kings and the Lord of lords, it is not about you. It is about who can you lay your life down for? It's their purpose. It's their purpose. It's their purpose. And all ministry is, like, is that, okay, Jesus, I'm now your slave so that others may can ha- they can have life. I, 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 I say this, you know, talking to people, I, I'm going to school to get my ministry degree. Oh, so you're going to slave school. That's kind of funny, but you guys didn't get it. You're going to slave school. Because you're going, you should be going to learn, seminary should be a cemetery, meaning you should go there to learn how to die so that others can have life. You're like, Chris, this is the biggest 11 o'clock service and you're going to shrink it just like that. I know, I know, I know. Because if you want to be great, become least, become last. And see, this is what she was doing. She was moving like this. She was moving and serving and in the vineyard with people who have a, a, a willing heart. And as you serve, guess what you'll find? What your purpose is. It'll come. 
I was telling the story this last service of the time that I hadn't really spoke except for one time sharing my testimony while I was serving for a few years. And I was at a basketball camp and they asked me to speak. And man, I I was just, I was scared. I wasn't ready. Somebody was sick. I had to fill in. So I skipped lunch and I stole everything that I heard the Sunday before. And I crafted up a message. And I gave it to these kids at a basketball camp over at PBA, right? We had about 100 inner city kids, right? We were doing a basketball camp. And so I spoke. And after I spoke, there was a gentleman in the audience. His name was Dr. Tommy Carrington. He was on staff there. He teaches youth ministry. He came up to Bill and myself, and he pointed at me, and he said, Wow, Bill, this guy has a gift. In two years, I shared one time my testimony. Other than that, I didn't share. I was picking up trash, handing out chips, serving in outreaches, driving the van, whatever's needed, whatever's needing. It's not about me. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. But then as I'm serving, I was called up. I had to speak. I didn't want to speak. I was scared to speak. But then somebody said, hey, that guy's gifted. Somebody, again, with authority. And that word. Began to confirm something I didn't believe I could do. Something that I didn't want to do. (laughs) Something I was scared to do. How did I find my purpose? Serving. Many of us will never find our purpose if we don't heed this word. Because there is a great purpose for you, but you find it through serving. There's no other way. You can't go take a leadership training class somewhere and all of a sudden you're Joe Leader. You have to, you have to make yourself a complete disposal of another. And then when you have that, you'll fulfill 1 Thessalonians 3.8. And you'll have a mindset, man, my life's worth it if they stand fast in the Lord, if they get it. So the question is for you, am I serving in the vineyard with people who have a willing heart? You need to ask yourself that. Am I I serving with people who are really about the Lord's work in his vineyard? She was doing that because she received, she received the love of God and she wanted others to experience that love. Let's keep keep going in verse 13, please. Song of Songs, chapter six. We're always going to come back to to chapter six. It says, return, return, O Shulamite. And, And by the way, Shulamite means person of peace. Why is that important? Because the root word in Hebrew is Salem. Salem. Uh, if you, 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 you're familiar with Melchizedek, with Abraham, and then also the book of Hebrews, the king of Salem, the king of peace. Melchizedek is Jesus. And, and, and so what this is saying here is that she is becoming just like Jesus. 
and she is a Shulamite. She is a person of peace. And so they say, return, return, O Shulamite. Return, return. So four times, four times they're saying, hey, we want to look at you. We want to look at you. You are so glorious. You are so radiant. You are so beautiful. We want to look at you. I want you to keep your place here. Go back to Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 11. Song of Songs 1, verse 11. These are the same girls that are talking, and here they're looking at her, and they're like, girl, um, you need a little makeover. Uh, You need some ornaments of gold studded with silver. We got to help you out a little bit. They're trying to fix her up, all right? But now when you go back to chapter 6, verse 13, they're like, we just want to look at you. What has changed? Let me tell you, it's her relationship with this king. Not one negative thing. How many times now has he said, you are beautiful, you are beautiful, you are beautiful, you are beautiful, you are beautiful. He said it over 10 times so far. You are beautiful. You're beautiful. You're like, she's beginning to believe that. And when you begin to believe that, you begin to come up and you, need, you begin to rise up into what he's declared over you. And so therefore, they're wanting to look at her. She's becoming radiant. She's received those words that you are my dove, my perfect one, my only one. And not only that, I want you to go over to Song of Songs 8. Verse 13, not only do they want to look at her, but they also want to hear her voice. Listen to what they say. Oh, you who dwell in the gardens with your companions, listening for your voice, let me hear it. And so he's wanting to hear her voice. They're wanting to hear. People are wanting to hear the voice. She's released such a fragrance of Christ that it's become so attractive that they just want to look at her. They just want to be at her, be with her. They just want to talk. They just want to listen. They want to spend time, right? And so, man, are we like that? Acts chapter 20, verses 37 and 38 gives us a description after the, the Apostle Paul was in Ephesus for three years planting a church. And after three years, he was leaving, and he was saying goodbye at the docks, and he told the group, you're not going to see my face again. Now, some of us, right, um, if we said that to somebody, yeah, they might go away rejoicing. I hope not, right? I hope I never see that person again. Oh, my gosh, hallelujah. Oh, yeah, it's sad to see you, brother. Sometimes when people lead the church, right, is there a weeping or is there a joy? Here's what it says, there was much weeping on the part of all as they embraced Paul and they kissed him. They were sad to see him go, Acts chapter 20, 37. Verse 38, being sorrowful, most of all, because the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. Man, I hope somebody cries when I die, you know? (laughs) I hope somebody cries when I leave. Right. So Paul, he had that 
that fragrance. He had that aroma. He's the one that says, oh man, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul, he used to murder Christians. He used to be part of ISIS, but Jesus changed him so much that people just want to be around him, right? And so think Christian, no matter where you are or what you've done or what you've come up come from, you are going to walk with Christ in such a way where people want to be with you. They want to listen to your voice. And the question is, is that happening? Is that happening? So this is, this is a hard pill to swallow, right, for some of us. At your workplace, with your wife, with your kids, with your family, with people around you in the church world, in the last year, has anybody asked you, hey, will you disciple me? Has anybody asked you, hey, can I walk with you? Can I follow you? Can I spend some time with you? Can, can I take, can we meet for coffee? Has that happened to you, disciple? Then very lovingly, because listen, Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but that should be a wake-up call. All right. Do I, do I really believe these things that are written about me? Am I really following my master? Am I really walking with Jesus? Understand we have seasons. And sometimes we have days. Well, I had a day last week that uh, I was walking with Kevin two weeks ago where, man, I was just in a bad mood. I was like, Kevin's going to want to resign. He's not going to want to hang out with me. I had to call him a couple days later and ask him to forgive me because my head was just in a bat. It, it was just a season. But I'm not talking about those kinds of things. I'm talking about patterns that are people saying, wow, man, would you pour into me? Will you disciple me? And if that's not happening, May I just submit to you, you might not be believing what the king has declared over you. You might not know how beautiful you are. You might not know how lovely you are. You might not understand how you ravish uh, his heart. You might not understand how captivating you are. You might not believe what he has said over you. And this is why this book is so important. This is why we're taking so long to go through it. Because, guys, we want you to believe what is written so it changes you. And it changes me. Because I should be more glorious. I know that's hard to believe. I should be more radiant with the glory of God, with the fragrance of Christ. Not getting frustrated, not getting overwhelmed, completely convinced of the love of God. So that people say, wow, nothing really bothers you, man. What's your secret? It's no secret. It's Jesus. And follow me as I follow Christ. I'll show you how to get free. I'll show you how fear will never have a place in your life again. How you will never have to worry again about anything. Follow me as I follow Christ. And that 
guys, is how we make disciples. This is what we're called to church. But it's not going to happen unless we believe what is written. Verse 13b. He says, why should you look upon the Shulamite, the Shulamite, the person of peace, as upon a dance before two armies or two camps? Um, this Hebrew word that's listed here, dance before two armies or, or two camps, two camps, two armies, it's, it's a Hebrew word, M-H-A-N-A. I am. I butchered it last service. I'm not even going for it this service. My, my confidence has been shattered. M, thank you, Clay. M-A-H-A-N-A-I-M. And I want you to put above that Genesis 32, 1 and 2. Genesis 32, 1 and 2. Let's go ahead and go there. Genesis 32, 1 and 2. It says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, Genesis 32, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place, and there's that word, Hey, thank you, brother. Yeah, thank, yeah, that's what it is. Actually, any Hebrew word, then you get it. You just kind of, and then you got your Hebrew word. Um, you sound like you know what you're doing. Anyway, so, so what's going on here? What's the context here? I want you to understand Jacob was a deceiver. Deceiver. He lied uh, and tricked his, his brother for his birthright, um, he uh, tricked his own dad and made and stole a blessing. I mean, I mean, this dude was not good, and so much so, Esau wanted to kill him, and so he ran away. He ran away from the promised land, and so Jacob represents the Old Testament prodigal son, and so Jacob now has his wife Rebecca. And Leah, and he, they are coming into the promised land, and he's afraid because he's about to face his brother, who last time they were together was going to kill him. And he comes to this place, and there's a revelation of the glory of God. There are two camps of armies singing and dancing and showing up over him, shouting over him. Why? Because he's about to come into the promised land. He's about to come into his inheritance. He's about to come into, this is so amazing, that Jacob the deceiver, Jacob the liar, Jacob, God actually takes Jacob's name and says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and God makes all things new. All things new. And what was done is done. 
And the cross speaks over you. The blood speaks over you. A better sacrifice than the blood of bulls and and goats. The blood speaks over you. You are mine. And as this Shulamite woman, this Shulamite, that's dynamite. She is coming into the purposes of God because she believes what the king of kings is saying. She begins to come forth. She becomes that person of peace. And the angel armies of heaven are rejoicing over her. What a picture. And notice this is back to Song of Solomon chapter 6. It says, he Meaning, this is Jesus speaking. This is the king speaking. That baby, you are such a bad mama jamma. You got angels and armies doing a dance, rejoicing over you as you come into your destiny. How do you come into your destiny? Through serving in my vineyard. And I'm so excited you've learned how to forget about yourself and to focus on me. You're coming into it. You're coming into it, and all heaven rejoices. I want you to turn to Romans 16, verse 19, please. The Roman church was being hunted down by animals, tortured, thrown into the Colosseum, eaten, eaten by, by, by lions that hunted down by, you know, in, in the Colosseum. But yet at the end of this book, this church that was persecuted, that was underground, that was suffering, Paul says to them in Romans 16, 19, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. It's very important to know that all scriptures God breathed. This is really God saying, I rejoice over you. I see your walk. I see your banner of life. I see that you're believing what has been written about you, that you are walking in the fullness of what's been declared. And your obedience, I'm just rejoicing over that. I'm rejoicing over that. What powerful words. I want you to turn to Zephaniah 3.17, please. Zephaniah 3.17, and I gave this to the last service as homework. I'm giving it to you as well. It's just submitted. Listen, if we begin to believe in what is written, guys, like this verse is a game changer. It's a game changer. These passages are game changers. Zephaniah 3, 17, it says, the Lord your God is in your midst. He's in your midst? Yeah. When two or three are gathered in his name, he is with you. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's in your midst. He's in your midst. He is here. A mighty one who will save. He is mighty. He is strong. And he will save you no matter what. He will save you. He is mighty. And not only that, he rejoices over you with gladness. You might want to highlight with gladness. With gladness? Yeah. He rejoices over so much, he is so glad to do it. It's not like he has to, oh, they're my kids. I I purchased them with my blood, and I better rejoice over them. No, there is this excitement and gladness and joy just bursting forth that he can't be quiet. He just rejoices over us. God rejoices over us. 
What an amazing, mind-blowing thought that today, even though you might have woken up on the wrong side of the bed, couldn't get your hair to do what it was supposed to do, instead of complaining about that, thank God you still have it, okay? So, so, so listen, no matter what, like he's rejoicing over me. Well, I don't feel like rejoicing today, Chris. You don't know what I'm going through. I understand. But, but listen, put your ear towards heaven. Why is he rejoicing over you? And he's quieting you by his love. Why can't I sit still? Maybe he hasn't taught me how to be quiet. And he does it by his convincing me that I'm, I'm loved by him. And maybe, maybe the reason why I can't just sit still and shut down my phone and my iPad and my TV and just be with God and just lie in my bed and go to sleep without anything helping or any noise is because I'm not convinced of the love of God. And so maybe tonight I can sit down and say, God, will you quiet me with your love? He will exalt over you, it says, with loud singing. You might want to highlight loud. Loud singing. Loud, loud. Church, loud. I'm going to close with a, with a story. Um, by the way, look at chapter 7, verse 1. Next week, wear your sandals so that you can be biblical. Jeremy, if you could put up the, uh, on the screen the different um, characters in this story. And, I, and let's just ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to speak with us, speak to us, because this story really represents... Um, how God's word can change us and how um, the extravagance of the cross can change us. And so I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take this and that you would help us to just really learn from this, this parable here. And so... Um, these are the characters in the story. Uh, there is a writer who is writing about all of these different people. And so uh, it says, My trip to Kinewata Island in the Pacific was a memorable one. Although the island was beautiful and I had an enjoyable time, the thing I remember most about my trip was the fact Johnny Lingo gave eight cows for his wife. I am reminded of it. Every time I see a woman belittle her husband or a wife wither under her husband's scorn, I want to say to them, you should know why Johnny Lingo gave eight cows for his wife. Uh, my brother, Darren, who, and my brother-in-law, Darren, and my sister, um, he was reminding me that, that my sister, somebody offered 10 cows to marry her. Uh, she was on mission with YWAM, and somebody said, hey, I'll give you 10 cows if you marry me. And she's like, that's not enough, bro. So uh, anyway, so you got to up your cow game, ladies, all right? Uh, let me get back in this story. Uh, John, Johnny Lingo is known throughout the island for his skills, his intelligence, and savvy. If you hire him as a guide, he will show you the best fishing spots and the best places to get pearls. 
Johnny's also one of the sharpest traders in the islands. He can get you the best possible deals. The people of Kenewada all speak highly of Johnny Lingo, yet when they speak of him, they always smile just a little mockingly. A couple days after my arrival to Kenewada, I went to the manager of the guest house to see who he thought would be a good fishing guide. Johnny Lingo, said the manager. He's the best around, but when you go shopping, let him do the bargaining. Johnny knows how to make a good deal. Johnny Lingo hooted a boy nearby, and the boy rocked with laughter, and he said, yeah, Johnny can make a great deal. And I said, hey, what's going on? Everybody tells me to get in touch with Johnny Lingo, and then they start laughing. Please let me in on the joke. Oh, the people like to laugh, said the manager, shruggingly. Johnny's the brightest and strongest young man in the islands. He's also the richest for his age. But, I protested, If he's all that you say he is, why does everyone laugh at him behind his back? Well, there's one thing. Five months ago at a festival, Johnny came to Kenewada and found himself a wife, and he gave her father eight cows. Now, I knew enough about these island customs to be impressed. A dowry of two or three cows would get you a fair wife, or four or five cows would get you a really nice wife. I said, wow, eight cows? She must have been a beauty that takes your breath away. Well, she's not ugly, he concealed with a smile. But calling her plain would definitely be a compliment. Sam Carew, her father was afraid he wouldn't be able to marry her off. Instead of being stuck with her, he got eight cows for her. Isn't that extraordinary? This price has never been paid before. Yet you call Johnny's wife plain? I said it would be a compliment to call her plain. She was skinny. She walked with her shoulders hunched and her head ducked. She was scared of her own shadow. Well, I said, I guess there's no accounting for love. True enough, agreed the man. That's why the villagers grin when they talk about Johnny. They get a special satisfaction from the fact he's the sharpest trader in the islands, but was bested by dull old Sam Carew. But how? No one knows, and everybody wonders. All the cousins urged Sam to ask for three cows, then hold out for two until he was sure Johnny would pay only one. But to their surprise, Sam... Johnny came to Sam Carew and said, Father of Sarita, I offer eight cows for your daughter. Eight cows, I murmured. I'd like to meet this Johnny Lingo. I wanted fish and pearls, so the next afternoon I went to the island of Nurabandi and I asked directions to Johnny's house, and I noticed Johnny's neighbors were also amused at the mention of his name. And when I met the slim, serious young man, I could see immediately why everybody respected his skills. However... This only reinforced my confusion over him. We sat in his house. He asked me, you come here from Kenewada? Yes. They speak of me on that island? Yes. They say you can provide me anything I need. They say you're intelligent, resourceful, and the sharpest trader in the islands. He smiled gently. My wife is from Kenewada. Uh, Yes, I know. Do they speak of her? Uh, A little. What do they say? Why just, uh, the question caught me off balance. They told me that you were married at festival time. Nothing more? And the curve of his eyebrows told me there had to be more. 
They also say the marriage settlement was eight cows. And I paused, and they wonder why. They asked that. His eyes lighted with pleasure. Everyone in Kinawata knows about the eight cows? I nodded and said, yeah. In Nurabandi, everybody knows it too, and his chest expanded with satisfaction. Always and forever, when they speak of the marriage settlements, it will be remembered that Johnny Lingo paid eight cows for Sarita. And then I thought to myself, wow, he must be prideful. That's why. Just then, Sarita entered the room to place flowers on the table. She stood still for a moment to smile at her husband, and then she left. See, this was a girl in love. She was bringing flowers out, but it wasn't about the flowers. She locked eyes with her husband. She was in love. She was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. The lift of her shoulder, the tilt of her chin, the sparkle in her eyes, all spelled a self-confidence and a pride, not an arrogant, haughty pride, but a confidence in the inner beauty that radiated in her every movement. Reminds me of 1 Peter 3. A, A beautiful, gentle, quiet spirit is so precious to the Lord. Then I turned back to Johnny and I found him looking at me. You admire her, he murmured. Uh, yeah, she's gorgeous, I said. Obviously, this is not the one everybody's talking about. She can't be the Sarita you married on Kinawata. There's only one Sarita. Perhaps she doesn't look the way you expected. She doesn't. I heard she was kind of homely. And they all make fun of you because you let yourself be cheated by Sam Carew. And Johnny said to me, you think eight cows was too many? with a smile sliding over his lips? No, but how can she be so different from the way that they described her? And Johnny said, think about how it must make a girl feel to to know that her husband paid a very low dowry for her. It must be insulting to her to know that he places such little value on her. Think about how she must feel when other women boast about the high prices their husband paid for them. It must be embarrassing for her. I would not let this happen to my Sarita. So you paid eight cows just to make your wife happy? Well, of course I wanted Sarita to be happy, but there's more to it than that. You say she's different from what you expected. This is true. Many things can change a woman. There are things that happen on the inside and things that happen on the outside. However, the thing that matters most is how she views herself. In Kiniwata, Sarita believed she was worth nothing because what others said about her. As a result, that's a value that she projected as she walked around. But now she knows she's worth more than any other woman on the island ever. It shows, doesn't it? I wanted to marry Sarita. She's the only woman that I love. But I, I was close to understanding, but he finished softly. I wanted an eight-cow wife. Worship team, come on up, please.
church. In Song of Songs, chapter 4, it says, You've captivated my heart. You've captivated my heart. We just read in in chapter 6, Your eyes, they overwhelm me. There is this love. There is this passion. There are these words. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. And instead of the downcast, that woe is me, and, and I'm walking in an identity that the rest of the world puts on me, the reality is that these truths from this book, they speak over you, and they call you into who you are. You are a princess bride. You are his dove. You are his perfect one. There is no one that is like you and allowing the words to dwell in you and dwell in you richly. They begin to exude out of you so you walk with a fragrance. You walk with an aroma that the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ that was poured out for us to purchase us. Think about it. It wasn't eight cows that we were bought with. We were bought with the precious blood of Christ. His body was broken. His blood was shed for you and for me. Why? Because God loves us. He loves us. He loves us. God so loved us that he gave his one and only son, not eight cows, his one and only son. There is nothing else greater. But yet, We're still not convinced of his love. And the cross, when we look at it, oh God, convince me because you demonstrated your love for me that while I was in sin, you died for me. He died for you because he loves you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? It wasn't just the cross was to take away your sins, although that's part of it. That's not all of it. The cross is to take away your sins because God is a holy God, and he just wanted to be with you. But in order to be with you, he had to take away your sins because he is holy, and without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But now that your sins are gone, he says, come here, my love. Come here, my beautiful love, my beautiful one. Come here, my princess bride. I just want to be one with you. Your shame is gone. It's nailed to the cross. You're mine. You're mine. And I love you. And there's no flaw in you. There's no flaw in you. There's no flaw in you. And he speaks these words to a beautiful bride that needs to rise up into our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High God, radiating with the glory of God, Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And so, God, as we worship you now, as we sing towards you now, Lord, I pray against distractions. I pray against things that are just weighing weighing us down and we throw off every weight that entangles. We just want to gaze upon you, Jesus. You are the lover of our soul. 
You are the husband. You are our redeemer, our husband. You have purchased us, and we are your bride. And I pray, God, for you to burn your word in us so that we live like we believe it. Be our vision, Jesus. Help us to believe. I come against everything demonic in this place that the shame that's been attached from the sons and daughters in Jesus' name. Be gone. Shame come off in Jesus' name. Shame belongs to the enemy. Every lie, every false belief, take authority over those things and it is only what God says about you that you will walk in from now on. And just say yes, Lord, to that. Come and do that mighty work, God, we pray. We humble ourselves now before you as we kiss towards you with our worship. And come kiss us back as we sing loud to you. May we hear you singing loud over us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.